Well, good evening. Good to see you guys here this evening. Thank you guys for coming tonight. I know we got bad weather approaching or supposed to. Who knows really what's going on right now. Uh, so I appreciate you guys getting out and braving the cold to be here tonight, braving the weather. Uh, Roger's out there. He's watching it, making sure if it gets bad, he's, I don't know what he would do. He'd maybe just wave at me and I'd keep on preaching. I don't know. Uh, but he's watching the weather for us out there. So we'll go ahead and get started. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, that's where we've been studying on Sunday nights. It's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And tonight we get another lesson from Solomon. If I was uh, restarting this series, I probably would have called it, called it Solomon Says, uh, after the Simon Says, because he just keeps on giving us wise lesson after wise lesson. And tonight, I think, is, is an even one of the best lessons that he's given us. I think it's practical. I think it's relevant. Uh, I think in this time of, of isolation that we're living in, we need to hear the message that Solomon says tonight. Uh, when we're, a lot of people are, are left in their homes, they're quarantined, um, they need to hear a message that life is better together. And that's what Solomon is going to tell us tonight. And I'm just going to go ahead and, t and tell you, I love this passage. This is probably my favorite passage so far in Ecclesiastes. And I think that everybody should hear this. I think we need to know that life is better together. Uh, what, a, what a valuable lesson for all of us. We're not meant to live life alone. We're meant to live it together. Uh, and that goes as, as a, in a marriage or in a home with, with a church family. We're meant to live this life together. And it's better together. Uh, so I would encourage people to hear, to like the sermon, share the sermon. People need to hear this. People online, like it, share it. This is, this is a very valuable lesson, especially in the world we're living in where people are in isolation. And they see how, how hard it is to live like that. We need to know that life is better together. So you guys can stay seated there. I want to read these verses to you. Not all of them. We're going to look at the entire chapter, verses 1 through 16. But I just want to read the, the heart of the passage tonight. Uh, as we start out, verses 9 through 12, and show you some of the value of uh, living life together. Starting there in verse 9, it says, two are better than one. So you see that the, the outset is telling us life is better together. So two are better. There's our term, better. Two is better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let me give you another one. Verse 13. Better, there's our word, better, is poor, is a poor and wise child than an old foolish king who, doesn't, who won't listen to anybody is what that says. Has nobody to give advice to him. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I consider all the living which walk under the sun with a second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this, is also, this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So again, I love this passage. I mean, I've been waiting to preach it for two weeks. We didn't, wasn't able to meet last week because of the weather. We probably could have canceled the night. And, and I, but I thought, I, I've got to preach this. It's, it's, it's been living inside me that I, I have to get this out. So I want, I want to teach us tonight on life is better together. So let's pray and we'll study this. Father, we thank you for passages like this. I mean, I had no idea. I've read this before, but I had no idea how valuable and important and relevant and practical not only the book of Ecclesiastes would be, but I, I had no idea going to Ecclesiastes 4, just what we had in store for us. And God, I, I, this has been good for me, and I pray, I've prayed all week. God, help me to be able to show everybody else the importance of this, and, and let me be able to get across what I've learned here. And I have. This has taught me something, and I want to teach it tonight. So God, enable me to do that by the power of your Spirit to teach that life is better lived together than it is alone. So God, help us to, to study this tonight, and we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to tell you that the, a key to understanding this passage, and really all of the book of Ecclesiastes, but especially Ecclesiastes 4, is to understand the book of Genesis. And not even just the book of Genesis, but Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. The foundation, the beginnings of all things. So I want us to turn there as we're beginning here tonight. And just in, in the introduction, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. 
Uh, and we're going to look at back at creation, where, where things began. In, into the garden, when everything was as it should be, when everything, when God created all things in six days, and on the seventh day He rested, and He looked at everything that He made, and He said it was good, it was perfect, it was right, there was nothing wrong, there was no sin entering into the world to, to corrupt and, and to bring the fall uh, upon the whole world. So everything was right. And I want to say this too, I, I read this week an article that said, anybody who believes in a seven-day creation is a conspiracy theorist, is crazy, is a loony, loony bin. I mean, is, is out of his mind. But the Bible says so, and that's our authority, that God created all things in six days and rested on the seventh. And as we turn to Genesis 2, before everything fell, before Adam and Eve sinned, God said this. And I want you to look at, at, verse, at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I think this is a very important verse for what we're looking at tonight. It says, And, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I want you to take that in. As God, at creation, when everything was good and everything was right and everything was perfect, there was one thing that wasn't good. And he said, I don't think it's good. And it's not God saying, I think. He, he knows. It's not good for man to be by himself. For man to be alone. That still stands. It's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He made him a help meet. And I love that. God is a relational God. God created us to be relational beings. He created us to be together. So he created a help meet for Adam, a companion, a friend, a helper. That Adam looked around and he saw all the animals together and there was two giraffes and there was two elephants and he named all of them. But as he looked at it, he got sad. I'm, I'm by myself. I'm, I'm alone. I'm in isolation. I need somebody. And God said, you, you, you need somebody. God, who is a Trinitarian God, a relational God, said, you must have someone to, to be with. So he did. We, we know that in the Lord caused a deep sleep in verse 21 to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from, from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and man, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. At that point, everything was right. Everything was good. In the garden at that point, they had a relationship with God where they could walk and they could talk with God. They had a relationship with each other where there was no fighting. There was no arguing. There was no nagging. There was no separation. There was no divorce. There was no, no problems whatsoever. Everybody got along and everything was just right. Verse 25, everything was perfect. There was no arguing between Adam and Eve about where we we're going to eat this evening. There was no nagging. There was no, no, no getting mad at each other. Everything was right. And then Genesis 3 happens. Eve sins by taking of the fruit and eating it. Eve sins by, by giving it to Adam, and Adam then sins, and, and the curse falls on man. And you get to verses 16 and 17 of Genesis chapter 3, and it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. There's going to be problems because of sin. And because of what happened in, in Genesis 3, this is the fall of all. This is, this is the, at every possible level, the world fell into sin. I'm talking creation. We're talking humanity. And from that point on, everything is fallen. We live in a fallen world. We live in a, a broken world. And everything begins in Genesis 3 to go downward from there. It doesn't rise upward. We're not progressing. We are regressing and going down. So we go from a, a world where Adam and Eve got along. No nagging. No separation. No divorce. Everything was just right. And then we, the relationship Relationships all of a sudden take a, a, a bad turn. And you follow, and as soon as you turn to Genesis 4, there's anger in relationships. There's envy, there's murder, and it continues chapter after chapter after chapter of broken relationships in Genesis. That's the world they lived in, that's the world we live in. That our relationships are broken. Our relationships are, are, are torn apart where we can't get along, where we get mad at each other and we, we separate from each other and, and there is divorce and there, there is family feuds and everybody is, is at each other's throats and nobody gets along because of what happened in Genesis 3. 
And that's the world Solomon lived in. A world of broken relationships. Solomon lived in a fallen world. And he went about, if you want to turn back to Ecclesiastes, you can. And he went about living his life in this fallen world. And he, he found the same thing we do. That every relationship he, he was in was broken. was wrong. He had a lot of marriages, a lot of women. You can imagine he had a lot of fights, a lot of separation, a lot of nagging. It was hard. He had a lot of kids. You can imagine that some of those kids didn't like him and didn't get along with him. And some of those kids didn't get along with others of his kids. And there was family feuds that were taking place. He was a king, so there was issues in the kingdom. And there were people that he couldn't trust and people that stabbed him in the back. So he looked out at the world that he was living in and he said, it's full of broken relationships. I think it made him want to sit in his palace and live by himself. Away from, if I can't trust nobody and everybody's turning their back on me and everybody's fighting and angry and mad and it's a world full of broken relationships, I'm just going to sit by myself. But in Ecclesiastes 4, he says we can't do that. And he teaches us a valuable lesson. That life is better lived together. Even in a broken world, it's better to live together than it is alone. So let's look at this tonight. I want to show you just three points as we work our way through this. I'm going to show you the bad relationships, the better relationships, and the best relationships. So let's look at this, starting first of all in the verses 1 through 8, at the bad relationships. At the bad relationships. You see that in verse 1, he describes some of the bad relationships that he's had. As he's looked around the world, he's seen some bad relationships. And I look around us, and you can imagine every one of us has had bad relationships in our life. And they're all because of sin. There's bad relationships. And look what he finds. I just want to show you. As he's went about the world, looking around, he says, So I returned and considered the first thing he saw was oppressions. You see that in verse 1? That's cruelty. He saw cruelty in relationships. He said, the oppressions that are done under the sun. And all the tears of such that were oppressed, treated bad. That were that people were cruel to. And they had no comforter. And on the side of the oppressors there was power. But they had no comforter. Verse 2, he says, Wherefore I praise the dead, which were already dead, more than the living, which yet are alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil works that is done under the sun. He said, there's cruelty everywhere. Everywhere I look, there are people who, who are the oppressors looking down on the oppressees and, and they're being cruel to them. Everywhere I look, people are being cruel to each other. That's not the way it's supposed to be. He saw people being mean. He saw people hating each other. He saw people being defrauded, violated, deceived, and, and exploited. Everywhere he looked, he saw oppression. And it was so bad, that's what verses 2 and 3 was, that he says it made me not even want to live life. It was better off to be dead than alive than to see all the cruelty that we have in our world. People being mean to people. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's what he says. People, the, the oppressors with power and the oppressed without comfort. And it's everywhere. I think not only does Solomon see this, but if we, if we looked around the room tonight, everybody here could say, I've seen cruel people before. I might even have been cruel, a cruel person before. We see cruelty in relationships. And I can show you on a, on a large scale, is slavery not one of the cruelest things you, you could ever imagine in your life? That somebody would own somebody and make them do things without paying them a dime? We've seen slavery in America. We've seen slavery in Egypt. We've seen slavery in, uh, th throughout the Bible, throughout history. That's cruel. That, that's oppression. That's, that's terrible. And then you can look at the Holocaust in Germany when millions and millions and, and millions of, of Jewish people were slaughtered for no reason at all other than who they were. That's cruel. Abortion in America today is the cruelest thing that you could ever imagine. How cruel is it for a mother to want to slaughter her child? There's genocides. That's large scale. On a small scale, we see murder around us everywhere we turn. We see child abuse. How cruel is it for a parent to abuse a child? Child abuse is all over America today. So that's what Solomon's saying. I looked around and all I saw was cruelty everywhere I turned. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We see spousal abuse. A woman isn't for a man to, to abuse. 
The Bible says a woman is for a man to love. We see bullies in school. Some of you may have been bullied in school or it may have been a bully in school. I mean, you think back to school and some of the meanest words and some of the meanest actions that you could ever find came from one kid to another kid and made other kids just just hide in the corner. They're so scared. Cruelty in relationships. We see it so much that we don't even think about it anymore. Solomon looked out over the world and he said, I can't imagine the cruelty that we see. On a personal level, you see it in marriages. Adultery is commonplace in American marriages. How cruel is that? We see it with friends. How many times have you been stabbed in the back by somebody you thought was a close friend? It's cruel. (laughs) I'm going to move on, but we see it in church. How many times have you seen some of the most cruel acts that you could ever imagine happen inside of a church? People being mean and cruel to other people. It's one thing to see it out there, but it's another thing to see it in a church where Christians are being cruel to Christians. So it's everywhere we turn. We can be so mean to each other, and Solomon's saying it wasn't supposed to be that way. So that's the first thing he sees when he looks out in the world. He sees bad relationships where people are being cruel to each other. And then he moves on to the next one. That's in verse 4. Not only are they being cruel to each other, but they envy each other. And I want you to see this. This is bad relationships. If you have a friend in your life who is doing these things, it's a bad relationship. And you don't need to be in that relationship. If there's cruelty, and number two, if there's envy. You say, Josh, where do you see that at? Verse 4. Again, I considered all travail. I looked around. I looked at everything. And every right work that for this is this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, I, I just don't get it. Not only are people cruel to each other, but they envy each other. And that, that's what he's saying. And he's saying at, at the he's saying at the workforce, when you're on your job, he saw the main motivation of most men is jealousy. The motivation that makes the world go round. Is either that we are trying to get above somebody else, or we're trying to uh, we got there and we're trying to stay above somebody else. We're always trying to to get above or stay above somebody else. We're always fighting. We're always climbing. It's a cutthroat world when everybody is trying to cut you down so they can get higher than you. That is awful. It's almost like playing Monopoly with my kids. You talk about cutthroat. You know, <laughs> there are no friends in Monopoly. Me and, and the kids will play. You can even get Steph involved. She could be cruel at Monopoly. I mean, you're sitting there, you got, you got money, you got hotels, you got properties, you got all these things, and you think you got somebody on your side that's going to help you out, and the next thing you know, they're wiping you out. Because in a game of Monopoly, as you go around that board, and if there's three players or four players or five players, all those players are trying to get your stuff. That's the world we live in. Full of envy and jealousy that as you go out, people are looking at you saying, I want more than them or I have more than them and I want to keep more than them. Everything is about envy is what he's saying here. It's rivalry. It's it's fighting. It wasn't like that in the garden. Adam and Eve wasn't trying to to one-up each other all the time. But after sin, after the fall, everybody did. I mean, Johnny's taking us through Genesis in Sunday school and we saw Jacob and Esau fighting from the womb. Always trying to one-up each other. You can go to Joseph with his coat of many colors that he wore around, proud of that thing. And his brothers looked at him and said, he don't deserve that coat. And they took him to slaughtering. Why? Because they thought he had something that they didn't and they wanted to rise above him. And that's a story of history. Is everybody's envying everybody and trying to get above everybody. And they'll do anything to do it. Cutthroat, mean, cruel things to try to get above somebody else. That's a bad relationship. And it's everywhere. I can see it in my own kids. I went to the flower shop today. I got me three roses. I hand one to Emma. And she holds that thing. I hand one to Gracie Bell. She's not as happy with it as Emma is, but it's okay. Hand one to Steph. 
The staff was pretty, I'm fairly happy with it. I didn't get one for Hallie, not yet. I'll get one next year maybe. And my boys are sitting in the back of the van like, you could have got me something. Daddy must love them more than he does me. And there's this there's the envy thing constantly going on amongst my kids. If you get this one something, you got to get this one something. And I got five, so I got to get this one something and this one something and this one something. And you got to keep it even Stevens across the board, or there's envy and there's jealousy and there's rivalry and they're mad at each other. Dad likes me more. No, Dad likes me more. It's in kids. Have you, have you seen sibling rivalry? It's everywhere. I gotta hurry. It's with friends trying to one up each other. It's at work. Don't you, can you imagine that at your workplace, if you get a, a raise or a promotion, there's somebody below you that wants that more than you do? And they'll do anything they can to get it from you? It's in your family. Do you think when you go to Thanksgiving and you come driving up in a new car that your family's looking at you saying, I'm so happy for them? Or are they saying, they don't deserve that? I do. That's bad relationships. How about this one? I think this is the worst of them all. With pastors and churches that are constantly comparing themselves to other churches and envying how many people or how big or how much money they have. Shame on preachers like me that envy other churches and other pastors. That's bad, is it not? Envy, jealousy, rivalry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is the cause of a lot of division in, in relationships. It's, it's the cause of a lot of brokenness. He'll go on to say here that it drives some people crazy to work. And they'll work their whole life trying to get ahead of somebody else. Look what he says. I've I got to get back to it. He says the fool folds his hand, hands together and eats his own flesh. That's, it drives some competition, rivalry, uh, envy, drives some people to be lazy and to do nothing and to sit with their arms folded. The laziest people on a work site is always sitting there like this, doing nothing. That's what he says, with their arms folded. And then it drives others to work hard, always trying to get ahead of somebody else. And it even makes some people say, that's it, I'm just going to live in isolation. If all there is is cruelty and all there is is envy, then I'm going to just live by myself and be happy. That's what that's the next thing he gives us. He turns to isolation. He says, better is a handful of quietness than both hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. Then I return and saw vanity under the sun. And then in verse 8 he says, then there is one that's alone. So we've went from cruelty to envy to lonely. So this one here, I don't know what, what happened there. I don't know if they were driven to loneliness by the cruelty of the world where I don't want to be around it anymore or the envy has, has driven them to be alone where nobody wants to be around them at all anymore. But somehow this person ended up all alone by themselves. Playing solitaire. <laughs> there's one alone. Verse 8, and there's not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Maybe he's been so cruel that nobody wants to be around him anymore. But one way or the other, he ended up alone. No child, no brother. If there's no end of his labor, he keeps working. Neither is his eye satisfied. He keeps buying stuff with the riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is sore travail. So this man had it all. He had, he had worked for it. He had labored for it. He had money and pleasure and riches. But he had nobody to share it with. And he said, what good is it to have all this stuff that you've worked your life for, where you've been cruel and you've envied and you've cut people down and you've climbed to the top and you've reached the top and now you have everything but you have nobody to share it with. You've ruined every relationship that you've ever had. You've run off your kids. You've run off your spouse. You have, you have, you've run it all so you can get all this stuff. And now you're sitting there all alone with nobody to share it with and nobody to leave it to. He's all by himself. He has no one. He has a house too large for just one. He has a TV. 70 inches on the wall, but nobody to watch it with. He has a dining room. It's a dining room table and chairs all around it, but nobody to come eat with. 
He has all these toys that he's bought, but no one to play with. It's depressing. He's all by himself. And that's not where we're meant to be. Isolated, away from others. It's one of the most dangerous places a human being can be. And the pandemic that we're living in today has driven people away from people and into their homes all alone. Driven them to nursing homes all by themselves where people can't even come and visit them. Winter does that. I've I've always heard that there's more people, elderly people, die in the wintertime than they do in the summertime because they're in their house all by themselves week after week after week. And loneliness drives them to depression, which drives them to death. We don't hear it talked about, but suicide in America is at an all-time high in 2020. They talk about the COVID deaths, which they should, but they don't talk about the problem of isolating people outside of schools and outside of churches and away from family. Isolation will destroy people because we're not meant to be alone. There's three things that we need to watch out for. Cruelty in relationships, envy in relationships, and lonely without relationships. That's bad. That's not the way it was meant to be. I want you to see that. These first eight verses, he's describing the way it shouldn't be. And then he turns the page. That's broken. That's bad. And then he turns the page to verse 9, and he shows us better relationships. Here's how it's supposed to be. Here's the kind of relationships that we need. Here's what we need. And in verse, I'm, I want to give you, I think there's one, two, three, four, five benefits of, of good relationships. Look what he says, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So he says that good relationships will bring you help. And I like that. Two are better than one because they, you can imagine that. If, if Just think about it this way. Steph comes home with a, a trunk full of, of groceries and there's bags upon bags in the, in the back. And, and I, I could say, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get all those groceries by myself. And I'm going to have to, how many trips am I going to take? I mean, I'm going to do everything I can. I'll line them up and I'll go from up here and put those bags all the way down to the very end of my finger. And then I'll put them on this side and I'll carry them up there as, you know, you, you got to make one trip and I'll have them all on both hands. But usually I can't because I got five kids so we get a lot of groceries. So I've got all those lined up on my arms and there's still some back there. So I have to take those in the house and then I'm going to go get some more and take those in the house. Wouldn't it be better if I had more than one person helping me? Wouldn't it be better if when Seth pulls up in the, to the house, I say, Hey boys, come and help your dad. Two's better than one. Three's better than two. You get some, you get some, I'll get what's left, and we'll only make one trip. That's what he's saying there. You don't want to be by yourself because there's going to come a point in your life when you're going to need some help and you're going to need a good friend by your side that you can holler at. You're going to need somebody that you're going to pick up the phone and say, Hey, I need help. Hey, I'm broke down. Hey, I got a flat. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. And you need a friend who's going to say, Hey, I'll be there when you call me. That's the kind of friends we need. Not one that's cruel. Not one that's going to stab us in the back. But one who's there whenever we call upon them. That's the kind of friends we need. And get this. That's the kind of friends we need to be. You need something, call this guy. If you want to be friend, have friends, you must first show yourself friendly. You need to be that guy who's there to help. You need to be that woman who's always there when somebody needs them. That's a friend. That's the kind of relationships that they had in the garden and that we need today. It's amazing what teamwork can accomplish. There's an old poster that used to be in offices that had a a turtle on top of a fence. And it didn't have no words on it. But the whole point of it was a turtle on top of a fence post. You guys know what the point of that is? That turtle didn't get there on its own. That That turtle wasn't crawling up that fence. Somebody had to pick that turtle up and put it up there. 
And in an office space, what they're saying is, every now and then you're going to need some help. Be the help and ask for the help. Second, see again, it's not about competing. It's not about, it's about helping each other. He's doing a comparison. We're not competing against each other. We're helping each other. Verse 10, I want, I want to give you the next one. It's not just that we have help, but we have support. For it says in verse 10, for if they fall down, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he doesn't have anybody to pick him up. Man, that's the kind of people we need in our lives. There will be times in life when we fall down. You may think, well, I'm, I'm, I've been walking a long time. I'm good at walking. I'll never fall down. But there will be a time, and I don't mean this physically, that you will trip over something or get on some ice and start skating and fall. There will be times in your life when you will get down like you fell down. And you won't be able to pick yourself up. And you'll need to be able to call somebody and say, I need help. I need support. And you'll need a friend that's there not to push you down. Not to kick dirt in your face. But to pick you up and help you. We ought to be in the picking up business. Not in the cruel business where we're kicking people when they're down. And I'll say this about the church. The church should never be known for kicking other Christians when they are down. We should be known for picking up Christians when they're down. They shouldn't be, when people fall down or fall into sin, they shouldn't be afraid to come to church. They should be driven to church because they know that other Christians are there that will pick them up when, they, when they've fallen down. We ought to be in the picking up business. Number three, and I, I'm trying to hurry through these. The first one was help. second one was support. You need somebody to support you. Somebody that will even keep you from falling down. Somebody that, that Galatians says that we ought to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That when somebody's on the verge of falling down, that we're the shoulder they can cry on, we're the arm to pick them up, we're there for them. We need to be that kind of friend. You need to be that kind of friend. Number three is comfort. Again, he says in verse 11, if two lie together, when they have, then they have heat. But how can one be warm when they're alone? He said, what does this mean? He's talking about if you're out in the cold. And, and you know, in these times, they, they didn't have the tents and the things that we have. So if you're on the, on the road traveling and you have to stop and you have to, to stay all night and, and be out in, in the cold, you, you don't have a heater, you don't have thermals, you don't have a tent, you're going to freeze to death if you're by yourself. So what do you do? You're going to need somebody traveling with you who you can cuddle up with. That's just common sense. Somebody that will come close to you when you're cold and bring warmth. Do you have a friend that you can count on to keep you warm? And I don't mean that in a physical sense. I could say that in a spiritual sense, that when you start to grow cold spiritually, that you have a friend who comes along and, and keeps you warm spiritually. Are you a friend that others can count on you to keep them warm? Or are you a fair weather friend? <laughs> One that's only with you when it's sunny outside and gone when it's cold outside. They're with you in the good days and they leave you in the bad days. We need someone that's there for us. And I, I think that's one of the... I've learned this as a pastor. I used to get called into funerals. I used to get called into hospitals. I used to get called into when people had... I mean, just the, the worst times of their lives. And I was young and had no idea. And I'd call my pastor and I'd say, what am I supposed to say when I get there? I don't know what to say. What do you say to somebody who's just lost a loved one? What do you say to somebody whose life's falling apart? What do you say when they're out in the cold by themselves? And my pastor would say this. Just be there. They don't need you to say anything. They need the warmth of your presence. And that'll be enough. And I've had so many people. I go in. It's, just, it's amazing. And I'm just sharing my heart tonight. At the worst of times. I'd go into their house. And I'd sit on a couch. And they'd say. You want, some, you want a cup of coffee? Yeah. I'll take a cup of coffee. And I'd just sit there. You know. I may pray with them. But I'm just sitting there. 
You sit for an hour. You sit for two hours, and you you just sit there, and you and you and, and you and you weep, and and you're you're around. And after it's all over, they'll they'll write you a little note that says, "We couldn't have made it if you hadn't shown up." But I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. All I did was take your coffee. It was the warmth of your presence that helped them get through what they were going through. Sometimes all you have to do is be there. That's a friend. Just be there. That'll go through the cold seasons with you and not leave you hanging. How about this one? A good friend will be there to help, will be there to support, will be there to comfort, and will be there, I say strength, but I like it better, will be there to fight with you. Will be there to fight for you. Look what it says in verse 12. And if one prevail, that's the fight. If one prevails against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what that's saying? If I'm in a fight... And I'm all by myself, I might lose. I don't like to think I'll lose, but it's, it's likely that I'll lose. I'm not an MMA fighter. I'm not a boxer. I'm, I, you know, I, I, I think I could take care of myself, but more than likely, if I'm coming across somebody who's trying to rob me, I'm going to lose. But if I come across somebody who wants to fight me and I got a buddy beside me, me and my buddy can take that one. And get this one, it says here, if me and my buddy can take that one, how about if I got a third buddy with me? That guy ain't going to mess with me. So there is strength in numbers. Think about it this way. Three, he says three co- three uh, fold cord can't be broken. You say, I don't know what that is. It's a piece of rope that's, that's tied with three different cords. You, you intertwine those things and you can't do nothing with that rope. Or how about this? You take one piece of paper and you can, you can tear that one piece of paper apart real easy. Give your kid five pieces of paper. Say, tear this apart. It gets harder. Give them ten. It's impossible. Give them a phone book. You can't rip that thing. How about this? One snowflake is fragile. But you put a bunch of snowflakes together and nobody shows up at church on Sunday night. Right? So we're all going to face battles in life. Maybe not physically against robbers. But you do have a spiritual enemy that's out to destroy you. And it's dangerous to be alone. There's a bad movement in Christianity today called lone wolf Christianity. Where it's me and Jesus and that's all I need. And I'm all right with that. You know, it's, it's good But Jesus never meant for us to be alone. And part of the strength that we have as Christians that Jesus gives is us being together. Can you, this this isn't in my notes, but I want to go with it anyway. The more you get together in church on Sunday, the more encouraging it is. When we sing together and we listen to sermons together, if it's just one or if it's just two, You walk out feeling like you're alone. But you get a whole crowd of people together on a Sunday and you feel like you could take on the world. That's what he's talking about. You've got an enemy out to destroy your soul and you're going to need somebody. You ain't going to face Satan by by yourself. You need somebody on your right. You need somebody on your left. We're stronger together. Together we can face it. We face it together. We're stronger together. We can win together. We can overcome together. A lone wolf is a dead wolf. It's said that in the New Testament that soldiers, in Ephesians 6, I think, the armor of God, that there's nothing, no armor for the back. And I've heard it said over and over and over, there's no armor for the back because we never retreat. We always go forward. But I don't know, that that's good, that's okay. But I don't think there's armor in the back. The reason there's no armor in the back is because soldiers always had somebody who watched their back. And if you've got somebody, one, two, three people that'll watch your back, there's nothing you can't overcome. There's nothing like we'll get through this together. That's pretty good.
And the last one I'll give you. Verse 13. Better. He keeps going. It's better. A good friend will be there to help, will be there to support, will be there to comfort, will be there to give you strength, to fight with you. I like that. Don't you love to have somebody that will fight with you, that will always have your back? And a good friend will be there to give you instruction. He says, better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who won't listen to anybody. That's what that is. admonishing is. Better is a child that has someone to teach them and to instruct them than somebody sitting alone in the palace without anybody to advise them. That's what he's saying. That an old king that won't listen to anybody, that disregards all instructions, an old king that, that knows it all. He says, better is a, is a wise, poor little child who will listen to instruction, who will listen to, to the wisdom of the elderly than some king in a kingdom who knows everything and will listen to nobody. One of the great values of good friends is good advice. This is practical. I would be writing these things down. I'm looking for this type of friend and I want to be this type of friend. That people can come to you and say, I need advice. And you give them biblical advice. They need instruction. They need guidance. They need direction. And you can be that for them. But then you have those that you can ask for too. This is what we need. This is what we're supposed to have. C.S. Lewis said, the next best thing to being wise yourself is to live in a circle of those who are wise. It's better to have somebody you can count on than to try to do it on your own. There's going to be a lot of problems we can't solve on our own. And we're going to have to have friends that we can turn to and get advice when we need it. Life is better together. And that leads us to our last point. And I, I, it's not from Ecclesiastes. I've showed you the, the bad relationships. I've shown you the better relationships. But I want to show you the best relationship. Because here's the question that, that I kept asking myself as I was studying this. And I'm going to give you a couple places to turn as we go through this. But I, I kept asking myself, here's the question. Uh, almost every friend that I've ever had and me included, we'll, fa we'll fail each other. We won't always be there. Get this. We won't always be there to help. We won't always be there to support. We won't always be there to comfort. We won't always be there to, to strengthen. We won't always be there to instruct. So friends fail like Eve failed and, and like Adam failed. We all fail in this way. We're all or have been bad friends. And... Ultimately, every friend that you have will leave you at some point, right? I mean, I kept, every relationship ends, even marriage, the one that's supposed to, to be there uh, and, and be together forever. It's till death do we part. And at death, you, you, you have one that goes on and one that stays alone, left by themselves again to play solitaire. So in a world of broken relationships, in a world of bad relationships, where can we find a friend like that? Who will be there to help, who will be there to support, who will be there to comfort, who will be there to give strength, who will be there to give you instruction. Where can we find a friend like that? Where can we find a friend that we can count on? Where can we find a friend that won't fail me like Adam failed? Where can we find a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Hmm. I think you know the answer. It's in Christ. That if you have nobody else in the world, you can still have Christ. The one who did what Adam should have done. When Eve failed in the garden... What should Adam have done? What would have, <laughs> this is so good, what would have a good husband had done? Or better yet, what would have a good friend had done? That Eve fail, failed and ate the fruit, sinned, brings it to him and says, oh, do you know what I've done? 
And Adam failed right along with him. What would have a good friend have done? I'll tell you what a good husband would have done. He would have killed that snake. Right? Because that's what husbands do. I grew up, my dad killed the snakes. Then I got married and nobody told me in the wedding vows, I'm now the snake killer. I don't like snakes, but I'm now the snake killer. There's a snake at the house. Steph will text me, you need to come home and kill this snake. So there I go. I don't like snakes, but now I'm the snake killer because that's what a good husband does. He kills the snakes. Adam should have killed the snake. And then Adam should have done what a good husband does and died for his wife. Should have stood in front of God's wrath and his wife and said, wives are worth dying for. And he should have took her punishment. Because that's what a good husband does. And you know what Jesus came and did? He killed the snake. And he took the punishment for his bride. Because he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he brought us close. I'm going to read you a passage. You don't have to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Adam separated us from God. Jesus brings us close to God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, verse 11. Wherefore remember that you being in the time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. There you go, you're without Christ. You're being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens, that's, that's away from, and strangers from the covenants of prominence, having no hope and without God in the world. That's away from God. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, now you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's what he did for us. That's who he is. And in Christ, get this, he will never be cruel to us. None of these things that we talked about. He will never be envious of us. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you, but he will go with you all the way. And he will be the one to help you. Isn't that great? I can't carry this load. And Jesus says, let me be there to help you. He'll be there to, to support you when you fall down. He's not one to kick you when you're down. He's one to, to pick you up when you fall down. He'll be there to comfort you. His presence is always there for you. He'll be there to strengthen you. You better believe it. If I'm by myself and I don't have a friend here and a friend there, I've got Jesus fighting the battles for me. And he's always there to instruct me as he's given me his word. He truly is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is all these things. And you know how he does most of these things? If not all of them? By giving us the church. There's, there is, and let me go back there, there is a supernatural aspect to his help, his support, his comfort, his strength, and his instruction. But you know where we get all these things? I want you to get this. It's not that he's just supernatural. And we have the Holy Spirit within us that will help us, support us, comfort us, strengthen us, and instruct us. Yes, but ultimately, all these things are available to, to us through the body of Christ in the church. Every one of these things. Christ puts us in a church, a big bunch of crazy people called your church family. <laughs> a family that transcends skin color, hobbies, teams, towns, schools, and money. And in the church, you will never be without people who will, get this, help you when you need it. Your best friends ought to be in this church. 
They will support you when you fall down. They will comfort you when you're cold. They will fight with you in your battles, not fight you. I've got your back. I'm not stabbing you in the back. In this church, that's what we ought to be. We ought to be there to help when people need it. We ought to be there to support people when they fall down, to comfort with them when they're cold, to fight with them in their battles, and to teach them when they need instruction. That's the very definition of what a church is. You turn to James and, and he says that the true religion is the church taking care of widows and orphans. And why does he pick those two categories? Those are the two that's alone and has nobody else. So to the widows, the church is everything they need. To the orphans, the church is everything they need. Because God says it's not good for anybody to be alone. And this totally fulfills what Jesus said when he said, whatever you give up here in relationships on earth, in father and mother, brother and sister, I'll give you a hundredfold in the church. It's almost like he knew exactly what we need and he gave it to us in the church. And then we die. And Thomas Brooks says there won't be a stranger in heaven. Do you get that? You get to heaven and, you, and it's, it's a return to the garden when you get to walk with God and be in a perfect relationship with each other. So here's the closing. I'll, I'll close, close this out. Life is best with Christ. You need Him, and if you don't have Him, you need to turn to Him. Hell is cruel. Get that. I mean, some of these things just flow together. Hell is cruel, and it's lonely. You're, you're by yourself. It's, 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 it's cruel, and it's lonely. And heaven is joyous and full of people. So you need Christ. Life is cruel and, and hard, but it's better with Christ. So life is best with Christ. Life is best with church. I'm going to encourage you tonight, and I know there's just a handful of us here, but you need to be more a part of the church in 2021 than you've ever been. And by being a part of the church, I don't mean just coming to sit in the pews. God never intended us to just sit in the pews. Yes, that's one of the categories where we instruct. And you get advice and you get guidance and you get taught. Yes, that's one part of what the church gives you. But there's so much more. I mean, if you come to church, and I loved it about in Sunday school this morning, we didn't have everybody here and we didn't have our teachers. And I just kind of sit back and I watched. And it was people out in the foyer and we were hanging out and we were drinking coffee and we were talking to each other. And there was people over here hanging out and they were talking to each other and they were fellowshipping together, socially distant with masks on. So somebody wants to call the health department on me. And there was people back here. Dodie, you was back there. And we were just talking and we were being together. Helping each other. Comforting each other. Strengthening each other. Being there for each other. And you can't get that on Facebook Live. That's why the church is essential. We need to be together. Life is better together. It's hard to, be, to live life six feet away from each other. I'm going to tell on myself. I went to a funeral a few weeks ago. And as we were walking in, Steph said, wear your mask and be careful. And it was a pitiful funeral of a great man foundation of his family loved by his son loved by his daughter loved by his wife loved by the community and I walked in there had my mask on and people were mourning and people were weeping and they needed more than me being six feet away and Steph walked in with me and the first person that came up to me and I you know <laughs> elbow me and it was and I could have 
or I could have. Which one do you think I did? I wanted to be the support and the comfort and the help. Yeah, I know it's, you've got to be careful. But how are people going to make it through stuff like that if they don't have somebody to be there with them? I know it's hard. I know there's a battle trying to be safe and trying to help. But in that moment, I did what came naturally. Because life is better together. And how are people going to make it through funerals? And how are people going to make it through marriage problems and kid problems and just the, the, the tragedy of the relationships of life? We don't have each other. So I encourage you tonight, let's be a church that does these things. And I'm not even talking about doing that to the, to, we evangelize the community. But here, we help each other. We support each other. We comfort each other. We strengthen each other. We instruct each other. Because that's what Christ has called us to do. So let's do that. Let's be that. Because we're really going to need it in the coming days. The world is going to turn its back on us real quick. Real quick. They may already have. And we won't... I want to be real careful. I've already said some things that are going to get me in trouble. We may have family turn their back on us. Didn't Jesus say this one happened? Turn to Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 23, Matthew 24, when he goes to the, uh, talks about the end days, and, and as he's in the last week, we'll get there soon. He says, Father will, mother will turn against daughter and brother against brother and that's how the last days are going to be what are we going to do because I know, I know we're in the mountains and, and we get in our little groups and our families and I'm okay with that I love family but what happens when they turn their back on us because of our love for Christ because of our stance on what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's false who are we going to turn to? Who are we going to have when times get real bad in the future? The only ones we'll have will be right here in this room. And I'm not even saying in this room because I, I think that we'll be able to lock arms with the, you know, the, the churches that we think we're against anymore. You know, True brothers and sisters in Christ, when times get bad, they'll lock arms together. And when that comes... We'll have the help we need, the support we need, the comfort we need, the strength we need, and the instruction we need to get through anything we face because we do it together. And I'll give you one more just because I like this. Life is better together, so enjoy life with other people. How foolish would I look if it snows tonight and I get out in the snow tomorrow and I play by myself? I mean, right? It's no fun. I mean, why would I do that? Go out there and you know, wad up snowballs and just throw it and hit myself in the face? That's no fun. Get out there and make a snowman and, and sit there and say, who am I going to say, look, you know, you're by yourself. It's no fun for me to sit and drink a cup of coffee, coffee by myself. I, anymore, the, I'll sit and look at Steph and say, will you please drink a cup of coffee with me? I just want somebody to drink a cup of coffee with. I went Friday morning to a coffee shop in Norton and just sit down and had a cup of coffee with a guy. I love sitting down, enjoying it with somebody else. Last, last week at the Super Bowl, telling on myself, I got together with my whole family and watched a game that I didn't care much about. Why? It's more fun to do it with people. Play in the snow with somebody. Drink some coffee with somebody. Go buy somebody a piece of cake and say, I'm going to share this with you. We'll sit down and eat cake together. It's better together. We turned on a basketball game last night in my house. I hollered, hey boys, not groceries. <laughs> come in here and watch this game with me. Hey Grace, get off your phone, come in here. <laughs> Emma, turn that off and get in here. Steph, you're already in here. You know, <laughs> Turn the game on. Why? Why couldn't you watch it by yourself? Because life is better together. It really is. 
Why do we come to church? I'm, I'm preaching too long. I'm done. Why do we like to come to church on Sunday? It's not because we have to. It's because life is better together and we need to be together. That's why we, I mean, I know there's other reasons, but I just like being with you people. That may be the craziest thing you've ever heard. Why, Josh, you have in church tonight? You could have easily canceled and nobody would have said a word to you about it. Because it's cold and it's snowy and it's icy. We could have just been sitting at the house. Why do you have church? Why just a handful of people? I love being with you guys. I don't apologize for it. I love sitting out there and talking to Roger about cool runnings. And Kenny, I mean, about the Mighty Ducks. I mean, I love it. I love hanging out with Brandon. I love talking to Cody. I love, I love talking to you guys and seeing you guys and hearing good news from Aaron this morning. I love that because life is better together. It's, it's not hard for me to come here. Hey, staff. Hey, kids. Let's go. We're going to church. And I tell you, when this pandemic's over, these, our elbows are getting put up and I'm coming at you with a hug. <laughs> Because life is better together. So I'm going to close with that. I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed studying it. Because I preached for <laughs> too long tonight. But uh, life is better together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for you giving us everything we need to live. And we need each other. So thank you for that. Thank you for our relationship with you. Uh, you give us everything we need in you. So thank you for that. Thank you for the relationships we have with each other. Thank you for this church. God, I'm so blessed to be a part of this church and to have relationships with the people in this church. I love them dearly. And they have helped me and they've comforted me and they've strengthened me and they've instructed me and they've been there for me. Uh, I can't imagine a better church in the world than the one we have here. So help me to be that for them and help them to be that for each other. And for us to be the church that you've called us to be. Help us to stand together in these evil days. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.